If you're looking for a podcast to give you ideas on ways to cheaply beat the summer heat. Oh my gosh. Send those ideas our way. Yeah, because we're pretty much clueless. We're hosed as far as the heat. <laughs> However, we're not that podcast. No. We not. are comedy. Tragedy. Marriage. marriage. Welcome to Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage, a podcast where a longtime married couple approaching their 36th wedding anniversary. Uh-huh. Uh, they, we uh, take turns each week selecting a movie that we watch together, and then we sit down and discuss it, deciding whether we liked it, loved it, or loathed it. I am Stan the Movie Man. I review films at StanTheMovieMan.com. My latest is a review of Jurassic World Dominion. Um, yeah. Yeah. It has made a ton of money. Absolutely. In its limited time in theaters. But it's not a very good movie. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MovieManStan. You can follow the podcast at CT Marriage. And you can get in touch with us via email, comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com, or by leaving us a voice message simply by clicking the uh, link in the description of this episode. Joining me, as always, is the, the one true love of this or any other life, Aww. my other half. Aww. Maud the strangely loved broad. Hmm. Hmm. Well... Don't be telling secrets out of school. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, uh, it was my choice this week, and I chose Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> or, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. It is a film by Stanley Kubrick. It stars Peter Sellers, George C. Scott, Sterling Hayden, Slim Pickens, and more, and it's based loosely on a thriller by Peter George entitled Red Alert. Now, there is another movie um, that may also, near as I can tell, be based on this, uh, this book. book. I, I don't know that it is, but there's another movie called Failsafe. I believe Henry Fonda stars as the president. And it is about a bomber that is going to uh, drop a nuclear weapon on Moscow. Okay. So, spoiler alert, to make up for that, um, did I say Henry Fonda? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, to make up for that, Henry Fonda as the president agrees to drop a bomb on New York City. Because oh. they think the... Uh, damage and the death toll will be roughly equal. Or at least it's an, a gesture of, uh, you know, grief and sorrow and apology. So we killed their people, so we'll also kill our people. Yeah. I mean, in that description, it doesn't make much sense, but it may be the only way that in that film they can avoid nuclear war. Okay. Have you seen Failsafe? I have seen bits and pieces of it. Uh, years and years and years ago. Okay. Uh, and if I had remembered it before today, we maybe had would have done a compare and contrast. Interesting. But we are talking about Dr. Strangelove from Stanley Kubrick. 
and um, it is uh, the story of a general who goes sort of cuckoo bananas, uh, played by Sterling Hayden, uh, and he has ordered a wing of B-52s to cross into Russian airspace and uh, bomb the Soviet Union. Um, but there's no reason for him to do that. He just, he has his reasons, but they aren't good reasons. He's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yes, he is. Uh, he plays Brigadier General Jack D. Ripper. Yeah, some of the names of the characters in this film are humorous. Now, he has um, an adjutant, which is sort of like a, uh, which is a guy who apparently is on some sort of like, you know, uh, foreign exchange student kind of program from the British military. Group Captain Lionel Mandrake, uh, he is an RAF exchange officer, and he's played by Peter Sellers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sellers realizes that uh, Mandrake, or excuse me, um, Mandrake realizes that Ripper has lost his mind. Ripper's ripped. Yeah. Unfortunately, he had already sent the command for Attack Plan R. And that makes it virtually impossible to call the fighter wing back, or the, the bomber wing back, unless they get a three-digit prefix on their radios that are coded to only accept messages with that three-digit prefix, and that is only known to General Ripper. Now, um, Peter Sellers also plays two more roles. One is the President of the United States, Merkin Muffley. Yeah. And also, one of his advisors, which is a uh, former Nazi who was brought over after the war to be an advisor on military issues, Dr. Strangelove, who uh, is in a wheelchair and has alien hand syndrome. He has, yes, he, uh, he can't control his right hand. Uh, sometimes it grabs things he doesn't want to grab. Sometimes it won't let go of the things that he did want to grab. Sometimes it does a Nazi salute. Sometimes it tries to kill him by choking him to death. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's there's that guy. Peter Sellers' um, gift for comedy and physical comedy and comedic timing comes yes. into play here. Uh, which makes something I'm going to tell you later um, sort of a missed opportunity. Oh, Okay. Um, George C. Scott is also in the film. He plays General Buck Turgidson, um, a uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And um, his, the only female character in the movie Mm -hmm. is uh, uh, Turgidson's assistant and secretary and mistress, um, played, uh, named Ms. Scott. And uh, she's played by Tracy Reed. Now, early in the film, we're on a B-52 bomber, one of the B-52s that is flying into Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, there is uh, the pilot of the bomber, played by Slim Pickens. His name is Major T.J. King Kong. Yeah. He's flipping through a, a Playboy magazine. And we see a... Uh, and a, a picture of a woman 
and I, I don't know if she's the centerfold or if she's just in a photo spread. Yeah. She's not completely naked, but, no. you know, she's wearing very little. That is the same actress. Yeah. Playing uh, the centerfold. Uh, it's the July, or excuse me, June 1962 issue. She appears as Miss Foreign Affairs. Nice. In the magazine. Um... So the movie is about the efforts of the government and uh, the British RAF officer uh, trying to stop the destruction of the Soviet Union in an unprovoked attack. Here's the other problem. Uh, allegedly, according to the uh, Soviet ambassador who is brought in, to uh, tell him about the issues, um, the Soviet Union has a doomsday device that if they are attacked, numerous nuclear devices will go off and fill the air, the atmosphere, with a, a radioactive fallout that will not come out of the air for 93 years. That's um, bad. That's, that's bad. That's, that's real very bad. bad. Um, and so, you know, everybody's working against the clock to prevent um, the, the bombing of the Soviet Union and the end of all life on Earth. Uh, it is described as a black comedy. There are things about it that are silly, and they aren't presented in the film as, um, you know, humorous. There's no really what you'd call jokes in the movie. No, it's rife with satire. Yes. Uh, that is where all the humor comes from. Uh, George C. Scott as uh, the Joint Chiefs uh, leader, Turgidson, is constantly uh, turned up to 11. He's, he's this hugely bombastic character who thinks that, well, this may, the, the destruction of the Soviet Union may actually prove to be um, a lucky thing for us, for the United States, till he learns about the uh, doomsday yeah. device. He's hawkish. You could say that. Yeah. yeah. And he keeps chewing gum. Yes. And he keeps just he adding keeps gum. shoving more gum into his yeah, mouth. Yeah, adding to the, the wad of gum that's already in there. And he's just, he's just super loud and, mm -hmm. and turned up to 11 is a really good description. Now... Uh, during the making of the movie, um, George C. Scott did not think that this character should be so big, that it was too silly. So, um, Kubrick said, well, let's, let's just, you know, rehearse it big, and then you can play it down for when we do the, yeah. When we do the, you know, just rehearse it big. Yeah. So you can get an idea of what it would be like. And he filmed all of those and he <laughs> used all of them. Because he did not want to. He didn't uh, want to dial it back. Yeah, he didn't want it uh, dialed back. He wanted it big and obnoxious. Um, he got his wish. Yes. Uh, he's, he's quite the character um, in this movie. And... And there were other things about the part that uh, he disagreed with Kubrick about. But they would play chess 
between, between you know, takes. between takes or, you know, at the end of the day or before he was supposed to start, they would get together and play chess. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kubrick got Scott to conform largely by repeatedly beating him in chess. Oh, nice. Which uh, they played frequently on set. Scott was a skilled player himself who later said that while he and Kubrick may not have always seen eye to eye, he respected Kubrick immensely for his skill at chess. So, never think that any little thing you know how to do is a waste of your time because it may be the thing that gets George C. Scott to act the way you want him to act. Not that you'll ever work with George C. Scott seeing as how he's dead and all, but um yeah it's uh just just keep that in mind there there may be things you you know that are gifts that just haven't presented themselves yet good to know um and peter sellers who played three roles in the movie was supposed to play a fourth i read that yes um who else was he supposed to be he was supposed to be the b-52 pilot who was played by (gasps) slim pickens Oh, funny. And he didn't know if he could pull off the Texas accent. Yeah, Slim Pickens' draw was on point. And he says some of the most outrageous things that I don't think actually make any sense, but he says them so convincingly and with such gusto that you go, oh, yeah, that must be a saying in Texas somewhere. I'm wondering if he ad-libbed some of that. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he probably... Well, I don't know. Kubrick may have been sort of a stickler about sticking with what's on the page. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Um, and oddly enough, Dan Blocker from Bonanza, Hoss, yeah. he was approached to play the role. Funny. Uh, but he described the script as being too pinko. Oh. <laughs> well, okay then. Um... So they were going to get one of the conditions of the the role. One of the conditions to get uh, funding for the movie was for Peter Sellers was for to Peter play Spellers. four things. Yes, because he had done it before uh, in, or he had done multiple roles before yeah. in Lolita, which Kubrick also yeah uh, directed, and um, also for uh, another movie. Uh, uh, I can't remember which one it was. Uh, anyway, The Mouse That Roared. There we go. Um, and while Kubrick said, yeah, sure, we'll do that, he wasn't happy about it. Yeah. He said that's just the price you pay for making a movie is to bow down to the demands of, of the studio. The money people. Yes. So, he was going to do it. Uh, he was going, uh, Sellers was going to take on that role uh they got a guy on the um on the cast or not in the cast um uh, the screenwriter to record the lines he was a, a native texan and so this is what this should sound like he wanted he wanted um sellers to listen to these tapes and mimic the texas accent he heard from the screenwriter yeah uh terry southern but you saw how sort of, and it looks cramped and it was cramped, that set for the B-52 cockpit. Oh, yeah. Very tight. And um, either getting in or getting out of the pilot's seat 
when they were shooting one day, Sellers twisted and sprained his ankle. Oh. So he decided he wasn't going to do that anymore, and they brought in Slim Pickens. I think that turned out to be a serendipitous choice. It did. It certainly did. Uh, the movie is, um, like we said earlier, a dark comedy. It is a satire of this this apparent thought, at least at the beginning of the nuclear age, that a nuclear war was survivable. Um, you know, there were the, the films that showed in schools. I never actually saw one of them, but the duck and cover yeah. video or movies that they would show to school children of a turtle uh, who was wearing a civil defense uh, helmet. Yeah. <clears throat> and he, uh, there would be a flash in, on the screen and that was the sign that there was a nuclear bomb that had just gone off. So he would just pull himself inside his shell and you were supposed to duck and cover and get under your <clears throat> get under your school desk or mm -hmm. a table uh, to try to keep debris uh, from the destroyed building you were in from raining down on you and hurting you. Uh, never mind the whole you know nuclear fallout thing. Yeah, we'll take care of that later. Now, when I was in high school, they showed films. Um, either in science or health class, about the effects of radiation. nuclear radiation and, you know, the vomiting and the sores. And if you want to see something that will really skew your view on um, on radiation and the, the likelihood of survivability, survivability after a nuclear war, watch Chernobyl on HBO. Yeah. That uh that was some of the ugliest, scariest, grossest looking stuff from the uh people who went there to try to put out the fire or deal with the situation in the first hours after the Chernobyl nuclear accident and how they essentially liquefied from the inside out. Ugh. Yeah. And how they, you know, had to be buried uh, in steel lead caskets. Le lead caskets that were covered in concrete yeah. uh, and how their families couldn't get anywhere near them because they too would have been uh, contaminated and died because they, were, they had absorbed so much radiation. Mm -hmm. So the concept that a nuclear war would be survivable even if we took them complete, took our nuclear opponent completely by surprise and rained death down on them, there's these things called wind currents, mm -hmm. and we eventually would catch a lot of that nuclear fallout. Plus, uh, the any trees that were in the area of the explosion would burn, which would send more nuclear. Uh, radioactive material into the atmosphere to also circle the globe. Um, the silliness of that idea that nuclear war can be survivable is a uh, ridiculous notion that I think some people still believe. 
I mean, you know, Reagan said trust but verify when it came to, you know, nuclear deals, nuclear missile deals with the Soviet Union. And yeah, I don't think we ever want to not have them if they still have them, but we need to all come to an agreement that nobody needs them. We can kill plenty of people with a plain old gun and tank and the, yeah. all this stuff that we've been using for decades. So the, the idea that you could, you know... Just nuke them a little. Yeah, just a little bit. Just enough to say, yeah, okay, we won't do that. But, you know, obviously there's going to be a retaliation, um, no matter which side it comes from. Or there'll be a mistake. Uh, one time back in the 60s, um, the computers said that the Soviets had launched and that we needed to launch in retaliation. And Ugh. then finally it was realized that, no, it wasn't. They didn't launch. It was a, it was a computer glitch or a satellite misread something or you know, something along those lines. So we've come close a time or two. I think we're pretty close now, actually. Oh, Lord. With the situation being what it is. But um, yeah, it's a. Uh, it, it is it is all about the insanity of nuclear uh, weapons, uh, and the idea that they have them, so we have to have them, so they have to have them, so we have to have them, you know, and this whole notion of a doomsday device that nobody knows about because he the Russian premier was going to announce it at the party congress on Monday. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, just, it's just ridiculous event after ridiculous event that plays, that snowballs into this giant world-ending event. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of, you know, the, the posturing of superpowers, you know, whose is bigger, mine's bigger, oh, well, maybe not, and, you know, the whole that whole pissing contest kind mm -hmm. of kind of thing that came into play and um yeah and then when the thought is well then then they come up with the idea that they could um turn mines into shelters where the government and certain selected genetically approved people would go underground and wait out the uh, wait out the fallout um, until it you know settled down. Which, and then they would repopulate. And the then world. they would repopulate the world. And then George C. Scott's character Turgidson starts talking about a um, mine shaft gap or something. That's why they needed to jump on this idea and do it right now and be prepared to make sure that the Ruskies didn't come up with it. Yeah. And and get ahead of us in the whole chance at survivability thing. And whether there ever were actually people like this in the government, I don't know. I know there are have been hawks who were very much uh for the the um preparedness and and the planning for the aftermath of a nuclear war. But it's like in war games when the computer says it's uh, there is no winner, it's best not to play. 
Um, what did you think of um, Doctor Strangelove? Um, it was actually more approachable than I thought it would be. It was more accessible. It was more humorous, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it. Um, it's, you know, it's one of those pieces of American cinema that's, that's you know, on lists of, you know, 100 best or ha- whatever. Yeah. Um, it's, and it, for a reason, mm-hmm. it, w- it was made in 1964 and it was, um, I think probably... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, I think that it probably opened eyes. If if people were of a mind to understand the satire. Well, you get into... Are they preaching to the choir kind of territory? We've... And I'm not going to get into a whole discussion about this, but we watched the first night of the January 6th committee hearings. Yeah. Um, And I'm already convinced of certain things and that just, you know, enforced my opinion of the events of that day and Mm -hmm. why they happened. Um, And then there are people who will still say, yeah, it was a false flag operation and it was all Antifa um, or uh, the, the election was stolen and they had the right to do that uh, to protect democracy. Uh, so the people on both sides of that issue, whether it's the January 6th thing or uh, nuclear armament, they have, they're pretty entrenched in their opinions. Yeah. Now... The difference there is the opinions on nuclear armament can, I think, be varied and be to more or less degrees correct. The opinions on January 6th are either reality or or insanity. Uh, So you're, it's, it's different but similar. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm not sure this movie made anybody who was a hardcore, uh, you know, preparedness person in the 1960s go, hmm. No, probably not. Um, but the, the last scene where we have all of the um, explosions happening, yes. mm-hmm. um, I would think that that at least would have um, maybe not changed anybody's mind, but certainly would have made an impression. I had always assumed that was the doomsday device going off. I'm not sure that is true now. Don't know. It's left up to the viewer. Yeah, it's kind of up in the air. I mean, obviously what we're seeing is a bunch of uh, nuclear tests um, that were filmed by the government, um, and um, and it's shown with the song "We'll Meet Again" playing under it, uh-huh. um, which is you know, ironic. ironic. 
because probably not. Yeah. Um, if, if which in that is the whole point. Yes, exactly. So um, again, satire, sarcasm, irony, um, played very played out very well in this film. Yes. Um, and there was a few other things about the movie that really stuck out to me. One was when uh, Jack Ripper was giving his speech about uh, essential fluids, the essential bodily fluids, and how fluoridation was corrupting our essential bodily fluids. Our natural essence. Yes. Yes. And the way he's framed and shot for some of those speeches, the camera's a little below his head, but his head fills the frame. Yeah. And it's just him, even though we hear Peter Sellers as Mandrake responding to him. Mm-hmm. It's just... The big giant head. The big giant head. Yeah. Uh, talking about his beliefs and <clears throat> and how... He cannot be talked out of those beliefs. I think we're getting into some January 6th parallels. And he, um, his whole, I think what that close-up is trying to emphasize is this belief is his whole universe. He believes that the communists are trying to rot our brains and take us over with fluoridation in the water. Yeah. I think he calls it fluoridation. Yeah. He says it kind of funny. And all the whole time, he's smoking a cigar. Well, yeah. And drinking whiskey with rainwater. Yes. Okay. Because it's not fluoridated. So. It's not fluoridated, but it's it's the impurities of the sh- of the cigar. And the whiskey. Yeah. Even though he's never apparently impaired, uh, other than just being crazy. Yeah. Um, he thinks fluoridation is the issue, but he doesn't mind sucking in burning tobacco. Granted, you don't inhale a cigar. Most people don't anyway. Um, and he drinks whiskey. Well, I mean, you've heard the expression, pick your poison, so... Well, yes. And he was picking good, manly American poison. Yes, yes, he is. Uh, and, um, and the paranoia of um, General Ripper is somewhat mirrored in... Um, that bat guano guy who shows up. Yeah, Keenan Wynn. Yeah. He is, um, he's a, a member of the military that has finally broken through uh, the defenses because he was sent there by the president, but he doesn't know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. He just knows he was supposed to get to the commander. He finds the commander has committed suicide, but he, he thinks... Um, he thinks Mandrake has killed him. Yeah. And there's some questions about Kong thinking it's 
some sort of gay thing. I don't know why he would think that, but or pervert, prevert, or whatever. He, he, guano. Know. Yeah, guano. Yeah. Um, and he's he's he just he, he can't wrap his mind around the fact that this this leader of an American base would have lost his mind and sent bombers without good reason to destroy the Soviet Union. Yeah, Bat Guano is also Bat Guano crazy. Yeah, uh, but in a slightly more relatable way. And that's one of the few bits of slapstick in the movie when he shoots the Coke machine and it sprays him in the face with Coke. Yeah. That is about the only straight-up comedic moment. I mean, that is obviously, you know, uh, everything else is is satire-like when uh, Turgidson is is wrestling with the Russian ambassador and uh, the president says, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. It's the war room. Yeah. Uh, There's all kinds of these little lines that are dropped through the film um, that are really funny but wouldn't be if the situation was wasn't so serious. The more serious the situation gets, the the funnier some of this stuff is. Yeah, it reminded me a bit of both Mash and um, Catch Twenty Two. Mm-hmm. Um, war movie satire, mm-hmm. conflict, mm-hmm. irony. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of a handful of things in the same similar genre. Right. Um. So I think right now we should take a break, mm-hmm. come back and rate Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and uh, Love the Bomb. Gotcha. And we'll also talk about what we've watched. Gotcha. Right after this. Welcome back to Comedy Tragedy Marriage. We are discussing Dr. Strangelove um, and um, what we think about it. And tell me. What rating do you give Dr. Strangelove? Um, I'm thinking four and a half big fat nuclear bombs. <laughs> not that it was a bomb. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Um, actually, um, it was a fairly decent money maker, considering it wasn't made for very much. Um, mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, I, also, I, I give it five stars because... Um, the pitch black comedy of it, the satire, the silliness, uh, all these very important people being so stupid. Yeah. Uh, it works on that level a great deal. Maybe, you know, the special effects are obviously very dated. Um, and, you know, it... it don't go into it thinking you're going to watch, you know, Top Gun Maverick. Um, because, you know, it's obviously a model on a stick that has uh, video projected in front of it, and they're moving the model around. So, I mean, you can't see the stick, but it's obviously something like that. But, uh, yeah. It's, um, while the special effects are dated, I really enjoyed... What appeared to be, and I don't know if this is true or not, but a uh, accurate representation of the inside of a B-52, or at least the idea of it. Um, all the switches and the checklists and 
the, uh, the codes and opening the safe to get out the battle plan um, and, and the interaction between the crews. Uh, uh, Kong says something, uh, gives a, runs down a checklist, and then the other members of the crew uh, quickly repeat it and and affirmative or negative, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is that needs to be done. That sort of uh, attention to that kind of detail, I think, is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see James Earl Jones as the bombardier. Yes, he gets he has a very small part. Mm-hmm. I think he's also the only person of color in the movie. And in black and white, he doesn't really look that colorful. Yeah, well, that's true. But, uh, yeah, well, the fact that he was even in the movie. Now, this was made, the movie was made in Britain. Mm-hmm. But it was distributed in America by Columbia Pictures. Yeah. Um, and it was made for $1.8 million. A lot of money back then. Uh, yes. Uh, in 1964, it was a fair amount of money. It made $9.2 million. Decent. So... Roughly two million to roughly a little over nine million. So yeah, it, it did all right. Yeah. Uh, despite the worries of the uh, studio and only getting uh, Peter Sellers to play three parts only instead of four. Only three roles. <laughs> uh, by the way, the 1964, also 1964 film, Cold War thriller, Failsafe. Oh, uh, okay. It starred uh, Henry Fonda, Dan O'Hurley, Walter Matthau. Um, Frank Overton, Larry Hagman, Fritz Weaver, Dom DeLuise, and Sorrel Brook. Boss, Boss Hogg. Hog. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it is a uh, um, a crisis caused by a critical error that sends a group of U.S. bombers to destroy Moscow. Okay, is this a drama? Oh, is yeah. Is a dramatic oh, yeah. take on, the, oh, on yeah. the thing? Okay. It is a serious serious film and at the uh, spoiler alert um, for a very old movie uh, the last moments of the film show images of people in New York going about their daily lives unaware of the coming disaster because they're about to drop the Americans are about to drop a bomb on New York City so uh, similar kind of stories somewhat one told uh, with satire and the other told with deadly seriousness. Totally slanted the opposite way. Yes. Uh, well, not exactly slanted the opposite way because it is a warning about uh, the contraptions that we build around our defense and how one error message can annihilate can the annihilate race. all of all of the world. So yeah. So there is it's. Uh, it is similar in, I think, that way, but definitely in, not in tone. So, tell me, what have you been watching? Um, a couple of things I'd like to just hit on briefly. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I watched um, the four-part limited series on Hulu called Keeper of the Ashes. Um, now, this deals with the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. Um, it... Um, in June of 1977, three Girl Scouts were found murdered um, during a week-long camp in Oklahoma, um, and the murders 
still remained unsolved until now. Um, Kristen Chenoweth is featured in this because this was, um, she would have been on this Girl Scout camp had she not been sick. Mm -hmm. She got sick and she wanted to go and her mom said, you're sick, you're not going to go. And she actually went to school with one of the girls who was murdered. Mm -hmm. Um, They were ages 8, 9, and 10. They were um, found on the grounds, um, bludgeoned, one had been sexually assaulted, um, and it's a case, it's a crime and a case that have haunted and mystified the Tulsa area for For decades, decades, 45 years. Um, So... Um, going through a little bit of um, research here. Um, the victims were Michelle Gousset, Doris Denise Milner, and Lori Lee Farmer. Um, and a new um, sheriff in town in two, 20, 2013 um, reopened the case mm-hmm. and they um, started retesting samples of, you know, things that were at the scene and um, suffice to say that DNA played a role in who they think they feel like did it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that. I found it um, really fascinating for the most part. Um, it kind of closes kind of cheesy with Kristen Chenoweth and one of her Broadway co-stars singing um, Changed for Good from Wicked, which is nice and all. Yes. But, you know, when, you know, Kristen Chenoweth was here, we've got to have her sing, so. Uh, Yeah, I I didn't watch all of the episodes with you, but I watched some of them. And the way she is shot is kind of weird. Like, she's walking through the woods, but it's always in slow motion. Yeah. Yeah. And there's voiceover of her talking about these events. And she is so unrelated to, aside from the fact that she grew up in that area. Mm -hmm. You know, she only knew one of the young ladies. Um, And she wasn't at the camp. She was sick. I guess maybe she just feels strongly about it and wanted maybe lending her name to it would make sure that somebody would see it. Yeah. Um, I think think that she may have been instrumental in, like, you know, talking to law enforcement and saying, you know, could could this be reopened? Could this be reinvestigated? I don't know for sure. Um, One of the little blurbs that I saw as I was looking for information about this was how Kristen Chenoweth made it all about her, um, which is kind of harsh. It is, but it's kind of correct. It's not entirely... Incorrect. Wrong. Yeah. uh, She's... There seems to be a lot of focus on her in some parts, in some episodes. Um, yeah... Like when she she goes to a high school drama class or something. Yeah. Um, why? Well, it's her school. She's giving back to the community. Well, that's great, um, but it, they didn't but, need to make a TV show out of it. Yeah, and it's it, not Glee. It doesn't have anything to do with the murders, really. Right. Um, it's just 
I don't know. It's very loosely tied together. But mm. I the the information about the actual case mm -hmm. was very interesting yeah. to me. Okay, so yeah. it's it's worth the watch. Okay. It's, that's streaming on Hulu. Um, I finished The Staircase on HBO Max. Um, eight episodes. It they know how to tell a story. It I was entertained and obviously it was good enough for me to stick out the whole eight episodes i think it was worth the watch mm -hmm. even though we get no closure um and apparently michael peterson to this day is still maintaining his his innocence even though he did at the end of the thing he ended up taking an offered plea which is the recognition that um i I am innocent, but I understand that there's enough evidence that a jury could find me guilty. So he ended up pleading guilty to like a much, much lesser charge and right. um, and and got away with time served. When went home with time served, and the time served was considerable. Yeah. So, um, but there are some really good. Um, strong acting performances in in this. Colin Firth as Michael Peterson is excellent. Tony Collette as his wife Kathleen, the murder victim, also excellent. Particularly in the multiple scenes where we see her demise happen and all of the possible ways that it could have happened, mm -hmm. it's just shocking to watch her die in such a brutal, bloody, horrible way. Yeah. Um, and Juliette Binoche plays the editor of the French documentary, um, and she ends up falling in love with him, and she, they have a long-distance pen pal situation going, um, that apparently they took a little bit of creative license with. No. But, yeah, but anyway, um, that's on HBO Max, The Staircase. I thought it was good. Okay. Uh, you want to tell anybody about the books you've been reading? Um, I just finished Ann Patchett's um, earlier collection of essays um, called This is the Story of a Happy Marriage. And these are mostly pieces that had been published in other publications, magazines, that kind of thing. Um, I just love her as an essayist. Um, so I'm about to start... Um, her first novel, The Patron Saint of Liars, and um, that was written in 1992, and I'm hoping it's good. All right. And, of course, Ms. Patchett uh, owns and operates, or is a part owner. She's a co-owner of Parnassus Books in Nashville. Yes. If you're in, in Nashville, go go by Parnassus. They have shop dogs who work there. Mm -hmm. You can, I mean, we went to Nashville a few few weekends, weekends ago, and um, I got some serious FaceTime with <laughs> several of the shop dogs. Now, Ann and, pa and Sparky were not working that day, but Barnabas was working, and Marley and Lavinia were both working. And Which was, one was the yappy one that was out in the front of the store? That's Barnabas. Barnabas, yeah. Appar Barnabas was in a bit of a mood. Appar yeah, and apparently Barnabas is all, always kind of a little bit of a drama king. Hmm. He's a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. He's a beautiful he creature. He is a handsome hound. Um, and he has tood. <laughs> Yeah, he was constantly yapping at some Dude's something. Dude's got to. Well, sometimes they, they, um, 
at the beginning of the pandemic, they started doing a thing um, called the Lay Down Diaries. On Tuesdays, they will post a video um, talking about the new releases that are coming out that day. And I have been watching the Lay Down Diaries every Tuesday um, for over a year. And a lot of times during the Lay Down Diaries, um, Barnes, you know, Anne, Anne starts out and she's got Sparky either she's holding him under her arm or he's sitting on a table next to her on a stack of books and she's just petting him and he's just looking at her with love in his face and um, it's a very sweet dynamic between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Then we pan over to um, Lindsay and Lindsay is Barnabas's mom mm -hmm. and usually Barnabas is on the floor but you can hear Barnabas and see him in the background running up and down the floor in the store and sometimes he'll bark and sometimes you can hear his tags jingle mm -hmm. but um, yeah Barnabas is a different flavor of dog altogether than than Sparky Van Devender so yes he's, he's a bit of a diva or whatever he's, the he's, male equivalent well, of that don't is. Don't say diva like it's a bad thing well, he's just he's, he's he's an attention hound yeah and when mama's talking he wants her to be talking to him not to whatever that thing is over there yeah. that's filming her. So, yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, yeah. But they go, are cute animals. Go to Parnassus, meet the shop dogs, buy some books. Um, and then go to the donut shop, uh, sort of. The donut den, yeah, yeah. It's like just just down a couple doors. Yeah. Um, the One of the perks, and I'm totally plugging here, one of the perks of buying an Ann Patchett book at Parnassus is that every single Ann Patchett book has been signed by the author. So that's a that's a lovely that's a little, yeah, that's a lovely plus. All so right. go to Nashville, go to Parnassus, pet a dog, eat a donut, buy yeah. a book. <laughs> you can't eat the donuts at the bookstore. They're two separate things. Yeah. And we have not been paid to talk about them. So uh, I uh, watched Ms. Marble, the first episode on Disney+. Plus. I watched it with you. Yes, it is a, a, a new superhero uh, show uh, about Marvel's uh, first um, uh, Muslim superhero. Mm -hmm. Now, she lives in New Jersey with her family. She is expected to be serious and follow the rules and study hard and make you know be a doctor or whatever are they pakistani or indian i think they're pakistani because they speak urdu okay um and um but um ms marvel uh who's that's not her name name but uh she is someone who loves the superheroes loves the and of course in this universe the avengers are real people mm -hmm. uh and she uh wants to be a superhero one day well she finds this bracelet in a box of a relative's stuff snaps it on and it infuses her with some sort of power that they didn't have a whole lot of time in the first episode to examine but uh, you know she can like stretch uh, like a energy representation of her hand out um, and either slap or catch somebody. Um, she can shoot out laser-like beams. It looked she was shooting out light. Well, that's that's that. Uh, it, it's a force of some sort. It looks sort of crystalline. Yeah. Um, and um, but anyway. 
they haven't gotten into her powers yet, and they are different than uh, the Captain comic books. Marvel's. Well, oh. yes, but they're also different than her version the comic. in okay. the comic books. Gotcha. So, uh, but we've only seen one episode of that yet, but I enjoyed it a whole lot. I, I like the, the lighter tone. I'm sure it'll get more serious later. But uh, the lighter tone, the humor, the family dynamic, uh, how is she going? I assume she's going to keep her um, identity a secret from her parents. But how is she going to do that? Because yeah. they're kind of always on her. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to see what they do with Ms. Marvel on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we watched the last two episodes of The Way Down, the two bonus episodes that they dropped. Yeah on HBO Max, and um, really kind of more of the same from the previous episodes uh, about uh, this church in the Nashville area that the, 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 what was her name, Gwen? Gwen Shamblin. Gwen Shamblin kind of got her start as a weight loss guru, but then converted that into a church or vice versa? I don't remember which came first, the chicken or the egg. But according to former members, she used the church and its power and uh, the weight loss programs as a method of control. Yeah, they were both cultic. Yes, uh, it's essentially a cult, at least according to the people who have left it. Uh, Shamblin and her husband and uh, five others died in a plane crash uh, a couple of year, year and a half ago. Yeah. And um, the church has been attempting to continue on as normal, but they don't really have a leader. They have like 34 people yeah. in a leadership council, but that can't last. Uh, the daughter is, the Shamlin's daughter is thought to be the next in line uh, because her son has left the church, but she apparently went into seclusion after her mother's death mm-hmm. and hasn't really been seen in person much, if at all, especially not at the church. Yeah, She'll call in and they'll patch her through on a phone line, but she's not... You know, on site, on site, doing sermons, and being the church leader like her mother was, and I don't know. Uh, they apparently are operating just like they did before, except Gwen is dead, but they're selling her books and her tapes and her CDs and all this other stuff. So it's it, it's a messy, messy situation that. Uh, for some people has not ended well and for others they're lucky they got out when they did yeah so that's the way down the two bonus episodes that they they dropped those some months ago we just never got around to watching it until Mm -hmm. till now and season three of evil is started is is now on the air on uh paramount Paramount Plus. plus um the newly ordained priest uh, is having some very vivid fantasies that may actually be demons that are um, attacking him with sexual impure thoughts um, about the woman that he works with as uh, this three-person team 
goes out and investigates things for the Catholic Church. It's it's like the X Files, um, mixed with something else. Yeah. Um, because they go and try to investigate this stuff, and I've we've enjoyed all the episodes of Evil that we've seen, uh, and we're looking forward to the continuation or the relaunch of the third season um, the premiere of the third season that is and it is now here and we're both very happy new episodes drop on Sundays on Paramount Plus All right. anything else? no well I think that about takes care of it okay Uh, thank you for subscribing rating and reviewing Comedy Tragedy Marriage we appreciate it uh, please go to Apple Podcast, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you can get podcasts, you can probably find Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage. We drop a new episode, or at least try to, every Tuesday evening. Uh, please, uh, you know, follow me on Twitter at MovieManStan. Follow the podcast at CT Marriage. Um, and you can also send us an idea for something you'd like us to watch. No reason for us to always make the decisions about what we're going to watch on the show. Uh, and send us the name of what it is and why you think we should watch it. Send that to comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. You can also leave us that information in a voice message. Uh, just click the link in the description of this episode. As always, a pleasure. Aww. It's uh, the highlight of my week when we sit down and discuss these things. Aww. And uh, love you. Love you. And until next time. Later. Later. Yay!